Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Cindy Tonkin and Gabe, Gabe Mack is my guest today. He's one of the top 25 IAPA leaders uh, for this year, 2019, and last year, I think, Gabe, as well. Yes. We're very lucky to get that twice in a row. Yeah. Isn't that fabulous? Because um, the process of actually applying is quite complex, I understand. It's not like, you know, just tick a box and say, please make me IAPA leader. No, no. Um, it requires a couple of rounds, um, some video submissions, some interviews off the back of that. So it was, um, you look, everybody says this is every award show. It was an honour yeah. to be nominated and I would have been happy with just the nomination. No, no, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm quite happy to take that. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit more and my listeners a little bit more about what you do. So my background is digital marketing. So um, many, many years ago and another decade and another time, I um, studied university with marketing and media and communications. Um, it was quite a broad degree. Uh, straight out of uni, I um, spent a couple of years in sales and uh, from that learnt very well how to how to communicate with people, how to communicate with corporates, uh, especially. It was, mm-hmm. it was very much a high-end sales role and then out of that eventually got into my preferred field which is is marketing I went straight to a Google AdWords uh, reseller uh-huh. so I was working with Google ads straight off the bat from there I've been to a couple of different agencies in Perth mm-hmm. and Western Australia um, I've been client side as well so I've had my hands dirty with the whole spectrum of what digital marketing entails from email marketing affiliate marketing my specialty is paid media so anything uh-huh. you're paying media for online so Google ads uh, Google display advertising Advertising, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, content, uh, uh, paid content advertising and branching out to a few different things as well. Uh, I'm currently the head of digital advertising at Bonfire, so one of the um, search specialist agencies in Perth. We um, like to think we're pretty good. We've won a few national awards recently, so we're, we're on nice. a bit of a high. Um, my motivation for doing it all of it um, is... I, I try and treat this very simply. I have a young family. My motivation to make money is so that I can spend time with them. So mm-hmm. I can travel, I can spend the time. I meet business owners of, of varying calibers from enterprise government level to single owner operators. And I say to them very candidly, um, listen, I'm in this to make money so that I can spend time with my family. What are you in it for? Oh, how interesting. You're in it to do the exact same thing, <laughs> make money so that you can spend time with your family. Well, hey, look, if you pay me, I can help you make money, which in turn does this thing that works for both of us. So that's yeah. my primary motivation. Going I'm straight in- for the values and squeezing. <laughs> exactly. Look, I'm in advertising, so I don't I don't try and hide uh, what I'm doing. I'm trying to sell here. Yeah. But at the same time, I find a um, sort of a, a amicable way of, of dealing with that, something that's a bit more um, Essentially a higher, a, a higher purpose for doing the things that we do. I don't think there's a huge, I mean, there probably are some, oh, no, that's, see, we're already going off on a tangent. <laughs> uh, are there people who work for the work? And possibly, yes, there are. Um, and a lot of them would be in the boat you're talking about is I only work so that I can do the things I want to do in the rest of my life. Not to say that what we do for work isn't enjoyable, but, you know, it's that balance. Um, so 
well, I don't know where to start. Let's start with what you do to keep yourself working smarter. Do you have particular routines about how you run your brain, your body, your, your gut, your world to be smarter? Uh, yes, I have to. Um, so I'm in an industry which changes so frequently mm. and so often that I cannot there's, I cannot rest on my laurels. The analogy I use in digital advertising is if you were a plumber, it would be as if every five years the um, the plumbing itself changed, physically mm-hmm. changed material, changed what it looks like. Every three years, the tools you use that you have to use change. And mm-hmm. every one year, the direction in which you have to spin the tool changes. Mm-hmm. There's no other industry out there that changes so rapidly. I've looked mm-hmm. at, you know, some industries like accounting and, and law and things like that, they do change relatively rapidly, but the core mechanics are the same. Yeah, you're Digital still spinning it the same way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In in marketing and well, digital specifically, the the core mechanics change so frequently mm-hmm. that we. Um, I joke with my team like you cannot be averse to change. If you are uncomfortable when, especially Google or Facebook changes something on us, and you get mm-hmm. complaint, you complain. Oh, that you know, oh, changes on them. Yeah, you can't can't get angry because it is a waste of energy because you'll be doing it every couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You so got to be. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do? do? I, what do I do? Um, I try and stay update as, as often as possible mm-hmm. to be ahead of those changes, but it's very mm-hmm. difficult. When, when, when you're dealing with multinational companies who don't give you advance warning of these things very often. No. <laughs> so um, I am working with other data specialists at the moment mm-hmm. to build tools to review our own data, to review the oodles of data that we have to notice trends ahead of time. Ah. Um, and warn us of things that seem to have happened without our knowledge. Um, and also, I, I listen to other podcasts. I, I um, read industry magazines and magazines, emails, subscriptions. Do you have particular favourites? Search Engine Land, Search Engine Journal uh, from mm-hmm. a written perspective. This Week mm-hmm. in Tech, This Week in Google by Leo, Lo- Leo Laporte um, for podcast material. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be my preferential mm-hmm. um, uh, outlets but what do I do uh, coming back to your original question mm-hmm. what do I do to work smarter and harder well I've said why I have to how I do it is by using automation and uh, making everything efficient I know that's mm-hmm. every industry says that they're trying to do that in every yeah. job but I physically have tools available um, which are all about automation. So in, in the digital marketing space, it's about instead of manually controlling how much you want to pay for an ad to appear here, there and everywhere, we we use automation systems from Google. Now, it's not AI, it's machine learning, um, yeah. but they are smarter than humans. They have billions of signals of data available to change things in real time. We as humans just don't have that rapid sort of ability. So we use those systems to take over the minute tasks, the tasks that we have to look at every day or every couple of days mm-hmm. so that we can step back, take our hands off those tools and go, okay, strategically, is this going in the right direction? Mm-hmm. Is this moving the needle? That does not always happen. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know how much I can say without getting in trouble, but the discussions yeah. I'm having... Sorry, don't, with, don't give me anything that could somehow, you know, break your career. I, I want you to stay uh, safe. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I will say um, the discussions we're having with Google at the moment, because this mm-hmm. would be reflective of an industry, um, are definitely around when to best use those automation tactics um, right. and yeah. and also how to monitor them to make sure that they are actually moving the needle in the right direction because automation right. for the sake of automation is just as bad as leaving things manual. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, look, for the most part, automation is, is definitely my best friend and it mm-hmm. lets us take our hands off the tools and be more strategic and I love that because then you can start getting creative. Yeah. Uh, the things we've learnt are, and the experiments have been done years ago, if every advertiser was using simple automation tools and just said, all right, Google, you figure this out and, and find us the best way to, to be seen, all of the ads would look the same. Ah. So, that, that system doesn't work. It, it's mm-hmm too much of a level playing field. Yeah. So the, the cut through is creative, is a human being, yeah. is alliteration. If it's a text ad, it's alliteration and humour and, and emotion. It's things that cut through. Yeah. Um, and that's where I'm definitely want to move into. I've got team members that are far more creative than me, so uh-huh. I rely on them for this. Yeah. Um, but that automation piece definitely makes my day more efficient. It means mm-hmm. that I don't have to be on the tools as much. And, and also alerts. I'm creating alert systems through custom APIs to allow mm-hmm. me to take my hands off even going in to look at things because it will proactively alert me when something's wrong, right, or different. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all require an end user, a human being, to validate well, oh, my, my, my website traffic and conversions and sales are down 50% month on month. Freak out. What's happened? Oh, it's because we spent 50% less. Yeah. Within context, that makes sense and is yes. acceptable. Yeah, but if you just look at one piece of data in isolation, it can cause major panic. Yeah. My mm. um, favourite throwaway line at the moment is um, I'm interested in information, not data. Mm-hmm. Data is just raw numbers, raw metrics, whereas information is something that can be gleaned and something useful and actionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, your team is not just marketers and creatives but also analytics or are they creative analysts and creative data scientists and how do they kind of, yeah. I, I'll try and think of a very lovely way of phrasing that. I like creative analysts. Let's call yeah, them creative, creative analysts. analysts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Technicians or strategists is the, is the industry term, but effectively right. they um, they get the information from the advertiser and try and find the best way to cut through to their audiences and their, their custom nice. um, uh, target markets through the channels, through the pay channels that we're using. Cool. And with the um, when you recruit people, to be these creative people um, who are also analytically minded and smart, how do you? What do you look for? What's what? What's the, th- the things that kind of? What's the cut through on that? Uh, every time, it's attitude. Oh, it's, really? It's it's not skills. Mm-hmm. Um, it's attitude. Skills can be taught. Attitude is. I don't know if it can be taught, but it's mm-hmm. certainly a lot harder if it is. Um, I've. I'm currently dealing with um, some universities. I'm on a marketing consultative committee with one of the universities here, my, my alumnus university. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason I got on board with that is because I gave them feedback. Hey, I'm getting graduates from unis at the moment and they're coming in and they don't even understand the, the terminology. That's fine. I don't care if they don't know what SEO and SEM and PPC and ROAS is. Uh-huh. That can be taught, but they don't know how to learn. Like they, yeah. they've Ooh. not... They, like, you need to teach them how to learn. That's the one thing I got out of uni is I learned to learn. And back in the day, it was libraries and, you know, yeah. old computers. But um, you ask me, if you were asked to ask me a technical question right now, and I didn't know the answer, I would say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let me verify that for you and I'll be an expert in five minutes because I can Google that. Um, yeah. You know, and, that's his and a, bring a the skill. Data. Make the data into information. Yeah. Ah, very well. Yes, exactly. So what are we interviewing for and what cuts through is the attitude. And I don't mean like, you know, happy-go-lucky cultural attitude, although that is um, very, very important for us. It's 
the attitude of I don't like saying I don't know the answer to that question, which is a very powerful statement of I don't know, but mm-hmm. I can find that out and I can get the right answer for you given time. Um, it's it's a I'm teaching, helping my nephew with math homework at the moment in Mm -hmm. primary school and we're joking around the next time you're ever going to need to use algebra and, you know, uh, sine and cos and tan and these things. I I joke, I'm like, I don't need to know these things because I have Excel at my hand. I have a calculator at hand all the time. Um, But if I don't know how to do anything, I know how to learn it. I know how to Google it and find out instantly. And and I don't want somebody who's going to wing it in an interview. If I say, how how would you do this? And they try and wing through it. I'm like, no, actually, you shouldn't be trying to figure that out. You should be stopping Googling it and watching the world's expert do it on YouTube and then come back and do that. I don't want you, I don't want my my surgeon to be winging it. I'd rather them go and do the research. (laughs) Why wouldn't you expect the same of somebody managing a campaign? Exactly. Put me under for five minutes, do a bit of, you know, Googling, and then do your surgery. <laughs> I like to put me under, yeah, put yeah, people put under while I'm figuring it out. The client doesn't have to know that you're going to see Google. The client can be unconscious, literally, yes. <laughs> if you're a surgeon, um, or less, you know, it, but it's it's the, um, as the team that's the engine, that's the, the man behind the curtain, if you think of the Wizard of Oz concept, um, some, the people behind the curtain need to be able to say to each other at least, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out in a second. Yeah. Be, like you say, I'm, I'll be a world expert. Give me 10. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so you recruit for attitude and that's the big thing because it's pretty easy to test for skills? Well, it's pretty easy to teach for skills. So right. um, my most recent hire definitely had skills, but was very forthright in saying, look, I don't know how to do a couple of the things you had on on the job application. Mm-hmm. Um, however, give me time and I'll learn them or give me training, I'll learn them. I'm like, mm-hmm. excellent. I'd rather you have said that than, oh, yeah, I can do all this stuff and then when I put you on the spot, you actually don't know. So saying I don't know is so powerful and yet I, I feel like in the recruitment process, a lot of people still want to say they can do everything because it yeah. looks good. No, yeah. no, I, I don't value that at all. No. Absolutely. Is there any lessons you've learned in your career? It may be about recruitment. It may be about something else. I don't know. Any lessons you've learned that you kind of go, this is the thing? The real turnaround for me has been recent. So I've been in the industry coming up to a dozen years now and in a management position for the last three or four. And management has been the hardest skill for me to learn because that's universally in any industry management is managing people, expectations, communication, essentially. Mm -hmm. And for so long, I thought to be the best leader in my field, I need to be able to do everything my team can do better than them. If Uh it is writing an ad campaign, I need to be the best at that. If Mm -hmm. it is communicating with the client, I need to be the best at that. X, Y, Z, I need to be the best at that. And that failed me so horrifically until it was just so clearly said to me by my own manager, who I respect the, the hell out yeah. of. He said, do you think I know how to do your job better than you? <laughs> no. He goes, do you think I understand half the things you do, the terminology you use? Mm-hmm. No. He goes, am I a good manager? Like, yeah. Why am I a good manager? Because you give me the freedom to do the things I need to do yeah. and you give me the tools and, and facilities I need to do well. Okay. So what's the lesson? Lead from behind is the old ideology. <laughs> yeah. It's that. It's, it's okay. I flipped overnight and went, okay, my team are not my subordinates. They're my heroes and I just need to stand behind them and go, what do you need? So Mm -hmm. now I have an expert in 
data control and data campaigns. I have an expert in um, client communication. I have an expert mm-hmm. in, and it's it's not as siloed and as simple as that, but everybody no, has their strengths mm. and I rely on them for their strengths and it has been the smartest thing I've done. Wow. How long ago was that? That realisation came about two years ago, so about a right. year into the managerial position here. Mm-hmm. That was and such a, that's a good thing because lots of people don't get that and they get to the point where they exhaust themselves trying to be, as you say, expert in bloody everything. Mm. Um, that was very good that your manager even noticed that you were doing that. It's a good culture here at Bonfire. I'll, uh-huh. I um, have nothing bad I can say. I, it was a joke when I when I joined up here. Um, I came from another agency whose attrition rate of staff was, I calculated, it was about 220%. <gasps> so the people that worked there left and then the people that replaced them left again and then a little bit more. It was uh-huh. a horrific cultural place. And um, I, I interviewed here and Uh, I said, what's the catch? You've got staff here in digital marketing that have been in this organization for 12 years, 15 years, 12, 10 years, five years. That's a joke in advertising, let alone digital advertising. Why is your tenure so great? I've been waiting for the penny to drop. Oh, it's because they're dodging on this. It's, they're a family. Like everybody here is a family. And so when we hire, we hire a new family member, you know, so it's 50, 50. It used to be, we want to hire for skills. We want somebody that does the job well, but if you're the best programmer or the best developer or the best technical technician but you're an ass to work with doesn't work so you have to be yeah. a cultural fit as much as you do a skills fit oh cool and um yeah. and, that and it's was, working that, it's our turnover is is minimal yeah. and and i think that's that's not just staff that's clients as well because yeah. clients don't want to advertisers don't want to be churning through account managers every no. few months it's not a good no. experience no exactly it, it kind of it's like well who's got overview of all this just the machine Mm, yeah exactly um okay we've talked about professional development um what about complex explanations how do you go about explaining the complexity of what you do to clients so they get it without having to be themselves super complex uh analogies and metaphors yeah it, it always comes down to analogies and metaphors which is a skill and which takes a lot of time research and creatives and I, I, I'm a movie and a game and a music buff. So I, yeah. I pull my metaphors from things like that, but um, I try and keep it relevant to that client, not necessarily education levels or anything like that, but mm-hmm. their industry. So if I'm dealing with a home builder, I'm going to say, look, we're talking about a, a, your, your website is your foundation. So you've put your, your, your pad down, your foundation. Yeah, yeah, the pad. Yeah, I understand that. Okay, well, you can't build a wall. You can't get your sparky in to do the wiring without the foundation. Well, you don't have a foundation. You're building everything on a muddy puddle at the moment. So, stop paying money for bricks and tradies when you haven't got a pad. Let's slow down step. So, that's the analogy. And that works with lawyers and with plumbers and, and, you know, software as a service. Like, it Every industry, it's just trying to relate it to them. Now, that takes a little bit of preparation time prior to a meeting to think of that. Um, I definitely am a think on the on the fly. I'm an improv fan, so I, I prefer to Me figure too. it out as I go. <laughs> yeah. And it, it does lend a bit of, um, I mean, there's humour in that, but it lends a bit of humanity in that I'll throw an analogy together just like that pad yeah. one and it might fall flat and get a bit of a mm-hmm. laugh and a result. But then that human moment, I go, look, you understand I don't know anything like about building a house, but you do. Mm-hmm. Well, this is my relation to you in this in this mm-hmm. scenario. And they mm-hmm. they build their own. They'll be like, oh, well, it's not a pad. That'd actually be the screen. That'd be like the metal mesh that we put in the pad. I'm like, cool. All right, you yeah. build the analogy. Yeah. <laughs> now I've got you plan. explaining to yourself what, yeah. my, what my issue. Yeah. 
Yeah. Totally. That's and, fantastic. That's brilliant. And that's not just clients. That's, I mean, that's senior management across any internally, externally um, organizations explaining that, explaining what I do to my grandmother. Like that's, yes. it's an analogies because what we deal with are such complex terms and that is not unique to our industry. Pick mm-hmm. any industry yeah. and the amount of TLAs, uh, three-letter acronyms, mm-hmm. uh, that exist in every industry are overwhelming you basically are speaking another language. Mm-hmm. So it's only fair that you put some translation in place as well. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. It also means that the more you understand a client's industry, the easier it is for you to put it into their terms because if you've worked with 15 builders already, you already know what a screen is and what a pad is and whatever, blah, 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 blah. But okay, I've, I've been to, I remember when I was in my 20s, I went to a, some cocktail party or something with a friend and somebody asked me, I was just starting, my first job was at um, Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. Um, and for whatever reason, this guy asked me what I did and we talked about something. And he's like, oh, you obviously know my industry. I'm like, no, I've just been asking you questions. And then I used the words you used. <laughs> so, you know, it's the, the buzzwords, just being able to reel off, you know, regression analysis for an analyst makes a big difference than just saying numbers. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's that need to, um, as, you, as you said, as you basically said, meet them in their world rather than expect them to join mine to understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so. in, in this field in and the IAPA, IAPA top 25 analyst stuff, I was one of only or I think one of only a couple of agency side people. Most yeah. of the clients, most were, you know, um, analytics agencies, Combank. So I was out of my league in in my opinion. But um, what I found was their their language is so technical and I've over the years learnt, uh, I've been very, um, I'm going to be doing a bit of, um, it's not particularly fair to say this about all people in the tech and analyst industry, (laughs) but the, let's, and some let's make a generalization and stereotype it, and then if you it's want to take it out later, we can. <laughs> I, no, I won't edit anything. I won't edit anything I say. Um, the stereotype is that people in uh, analytics roles are quite techie and not the best communicators. Mm-hmm. And I, I often find that somebody who is a brilliant analyst may not be a great communicator. Um, and trying to get what they're saying. So we're talking about how do you make this relatable to people? Yeah. Some people you have to take out of that equation. Some Sometimes you need a middleman, a, a translator yeah, yeah, to get, yeah, yeah. suck the information out of the analyst yeah. and the data sites and then give that in a relatable way to you know C-level executives. Mm. Um, I'm very fortunate that I, I can do a bit of both. Maybe I'm Jack yeah. all trades, master of none. That's I, I've only got my own bias. Only on time that, will tell. Correct, yeah. Um, <laughs> I find m- myself able to talk to the techs and talk to the C-level executives mm-hmm. in the same breath. Um, but that is a rare trait. I, I yes. find that most techies are not as adept. And it can be with training. I've certainly, mm-hmm. you know, I've certainly built people up to be able to communicate better with, with um, clients and client-facing. But to have that skill to translate very complex data sets mm. in somebody's own language, it's a skill mm. that is a very desirable skill. Absolutely. I mean, certainly McKinsey's is, uh, is pushing the whole analytics translator role at the moment, mm. which isn't very different for, from, you know, in 2003 I did some work at the CBA 
with their um, analysts and insights people and they had roles that they used to describe themselves as the bridge between the technical people and the, <laughs> and the, and the internal client, you know. Um, I don't think that the analytics translator role is new. I think McKinsey's is found they can make money out of it as, as a consultant we required to do. Um, and I think it, it, sometimes it allows people to cop out. Like I'm not even going to try and kind of form a relationship with the customer because I've got this in, this interfacey people in the middle. Um, but yes, I agree. You can't you can't make a super introverted analytical person suddenly become a super extroverted, um, emotionally uh, intelligent human being just like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Complex explanations are complex, which is why you know why we have to think about how do we do them. Um, yeah. I, I value that, the idea of that role, actually. I, I won't mm-hmm. uh, immediately dismiss it. That sounds like a, 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 the wanky oh, yeah. language around it, perhaps mm-hmm. not, but the, the role itself. We, I, I'm always in two minds about perception and performance or perception and reality, perhaps. Yeah. Um, as an analyst, my analyst brain says, this campaign is working phenomenally by all measurements, by all KPIs provided. We are spending X and getting Y, which is hyper-efficient and meeting mm-hmm. all of their you know, return on investment targets. However, if the perception is, well, we only hear from you once a month um, or we only hear from you if there's a problem or you know, yeah. the perception is, well, we're just not seeing that return because of a lack of understanding or education mm-hmm. or awareness or communication, whatever it is, um, you know, I feel like I've lost more clients because of perception than performance in my lifetime. Totally, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's almost like you need someone whose role is purely to, I'm going to say handhold, but I mean that in the nicest possible way. Yeah. Someone whose job is essentially to just go, hey, Jack, how's it going? I see that you spent, you know, 10000 bucks with us this month and did you see that you've got, you know, $16,500 on your bottom line as a result of that 10000 Isn't that fabulous? I love you so much. Here's some flowers. See you in a couple of days. <laughs> like it's almost like you need that. That It's like the receptionist at the front desk, you know, who's just absolutely bubbly and lovely and who knows nothing except these two figures, $10,000, $16,500, just does that hi how you going jack well it's it's justifying your existence to an accountant and a profit and Mm -hmm. loss statement sometimes i mean talking about our three little acronyms we do seo search engine optimization yes we do scm search engine marketing on a on a balance sheet that is a three-letter acronym which is several thousand dollars well you can get that from the guy down the road for a couple of hundred dollars it's the same thing it's the same three-letter thing that you're buying why wouldn't you change it it's the value add and being able to communicate well this is what you're getting for it exactly Um, i I also blame a little bit of the traditional marketing model the traditional media uh, model of very much the old school advertising um, media buyers who would definitely wine and dine and that handhold experience now it's it's lean and it's listen. We're we're not going to charge you. We we can double, triple your, your marketing um, fee if you like, and do all that stuff. But, or we could spend the time doing work. We're mm-hmm. entirely accountable because every cent, every minute is tracked and and mm-hmm. and also tracked against your you know your leads and your conversions mm-hmm. and your sales bottom lines. 
we could do that instead. Some people go, I actually still want that. I, I still prefer that. And I respect that. That is that is how yeah, they yeah. see value. Uh, my government enterprise clients would say probably sit more in that bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, I yet to figure out why. I think it's more, much of a justification of um, budgets and perception has to go up multiple chains and hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually like those relationships as well because yeah. at any given point they can say, all right, we need to prove to the minister of XYZ this month um, what we're doing. And I'm like, cool, that's a challenge. I can do that. We can show the data and we can show the amount of comms that we've we've progressed. Oh, sorry. I just Someone just went to come into the conference room and then left. So I booked it come to the Come on fire. in. Yeah. I booked it to the fire. So fuck off, lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let me see what other questions I can ask you about. Um, oh, what makes a better data person? So we kind of touched on it in terms of recruiting people, but is there anything you've discovered makes a better data person? That's a great question. And um, I like how you say data person or not data expert because anybody that claims they're an expert in anything, I, I'm debating on what an expert means, whether it just means that you know more than the average person or whether you are extensively versed in something. I think isn't expert just a marketing term? <laughs> I love it. I kind of want to Google what an expert is and what defines an expert. I doubt you would find a definitive answer. Well, I, I've, it's quite weirdly enough, some, some of the pro programs I've been in uh, have had definitions of expert and one of them is an expert knows how to do all the right things from the wrong places (laughs) all right let's break that down how to do all the right things from the wrong places what are you doing in the wrong place to begin with well so it's the you know the client's pissed off the data is dirty um but i still need to find an answer how do i as an expert so that would mean i need to acquire some people skills to make the customer feel happier I've got to work out how to cleanse my data. I've also got to, with the, if I can't cleanse it, how do I actually make it, find the story in there that actually says this is a good idea or a bad idea. Um, it's essentially that, you know, everything went wrong and yet we still delivered something that actually works or does have an ROI or at least we learned something that means we're better ahead. I don't know. In your, <laughs> yeah, with your, in your field there may be no... Um, bad setup. Yeah, no, there definitely are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, I uh, my whole ethos is about helping business owners be human beings and make mm. money for their families. Well, the primary driver of that, or the the primary um, way I achieve that, is to stop people wasting money on paid media where mm. they don't have to. So bidding on incorrect terms or wasting spend on irrelevant audiences. And that is one of my favorite parts of my job is to audit other agencies and other camp, uh, advertisers' campaigns and find the holes in them. Not to be nasty, but to say, I don't care if you come with me and do the business. Please go and fix these things immediately yeah. with your agency or with your team because you are hemorrhaging money. Yeah. Like I, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not here to win the business. That usually ends up in a, oh, well, we'll definitely get you to do it conversation. But, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. at the same time, it's because you abhor the waste of it. I do. I, yeah. I, I Yeah. It's it's a difficult conversation to have, but um, what 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 makes a better data person? What would make it better? Well, I think being aware of confirmation bias, being aware that you're not trying to. I I less and less find myself trying to prove a hypothesis than I am. Let's just collect the data and see what it says, as opposed to saying I think X causes Y. I think 
and, and I'm learning so rapidly the importance of the difference between correlation and causation and yeah. teaching people, look, have you got enough statistically significant data to actually make a decision on that? Um, I've been playing around with some cool stuff with weather data and, and sort of audience traits as to, you know, when it's hot to people, buy more pools or air conditioners, things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, cutting through the, you know, the idea of it is, oh, well, of course it is. All right, well, let's go on, you know, let's run this check. activation. Yeah, yeah. Let's check first. Yeah. Like, have you actually proven that that is the truth before you go and act on it? So mm-hmm. being aware that, you know, you're, you're just, you may be going out there to seek to reinforce what you believe to be true, but it's not even close. Exactly. It might just be a coincidence. Yes, absolutely. Um, what makes a better correlation, not a cause, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes a better data scientist, in my opinion? Well, um, I definitely think the ability to communicate, uh, especially with analogies, is uh-huh. just as important. And we've discussed this at length. It's the ability to communicate your findings, not just to find them. Um, and also to cut out the there's, – there's so many ways that you can skin data to make it look good. Yeah. Um, you can bullshit your way through anything – because there's so much data, you can change the date range to make it look better or worse. And mm-hmm. I also abhor that because you're just lying, but with nicer numbers, with yeah. nicer laurels to lean back on. Um, I also think make smarter data analysts also consult. They they are not isolationists. They're not silos. They, you know, I sit next to an extremely intelligent um, data scientist, far better at this than me because he has mm-hmm. the experience in the in, the skill set and and makes me sound like a simpleton by by um comparison Comparison, but i use that like i say look i'm the simpleton that will be able to communicate this to the to the client but the smarter mind than i has um done this information has done this or i've consulted with them on this i've not tried to bludgeon my way through this task or this Mm. analysis i've gotten somebody to verify and validate and that is intelligent because i'm not working in isolation I'm, that removes a lot of the confirmation bias by somebody else going uh you've looked at this in a very niche or narrow window why haven't you included these oh i don't actually know why i didn't yeah. my human error let's do that and yeah. get a different answer because of my confirmation bias because i yeah. thought that was not relevant information at the time yeah. when i made that analysis so consulting yeah. outside of your own bias and your own sphere and, and also you get very zoomed in on a task especially mm-hmm. with analysis you're so zoomed into the numbers it's sometimes so important and that's one of my processes is is to literally diarize zooming out of your mm-hmm. tasks and going what does this look like holistically? What does this yeah. look like in context? Nice. I'm reading a book at the moment uh, called Range, something along the lines of how, how generalists triumph in a world of specialists. <laughs> and it's, essentially it talks, about, it talks about kind environments where you can follow procedures and do everything and everything will work and then wicked environments where there are no procedures because things change um, and you need to have you can't just be a biologist using biology skills to fix a biology problem if the biology problem is interacting with, let's say, weather or, you know, or all the other spheres. Um, and it's been very interesting. I started reading it last week and it's, uh, it's just been lovely to kind of go, sometimes you have to ask someone who isn't in your field. Yes. Which is essentially what you're saying by saying, let's not be in your little silo and just go, I do data. Go talk to the insights people. Go talk to the market research people. Go talk to the client themselves. Go look at the business. See all the other things that are actually interacting 
So you're a generalist, even though you have specialist skills. Just getting more information across boundaries can make a huge difference. I could not agree more. The, the value in asking somebody that is not intrinsically involved in a in mm-hmm. a project or in a data set or in results, and especially because they're all KPI driven. If I'm talking to mm-hmm. a marketing manager, their blinkers on looking at one one KPI, mm-hmm. um, they might be missing the context around that. Like uh, we've got, I, I love going to see one of my clients who. Um, I they they sell and service um, sort of machine equipment. I love going and talking to their parts department and their the actual yeah. guys and girls that are out on the road because the information they give is oh well, yeah we're seeing a lot of this competitor come in doing this thing and the client's like well we're not we don't even offer that I'm like should you yeah because everybody else is doing I'm not saying do it yeah, because no, don't be no. a lemming but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You don't exist in a vacuum, and what you're saying is is exactly that. With that um, sort mm-hmm. of that uh, wicked approach, is yeah. ask people or look or look outside your scope because you don't exist in a vacuum. Nothing no. does. There are so many variables at play in any anything. Yeah. We're talking about health this morning, and and you know everybody has a theory about why general health is on. You, you know, and it's, it's a broad statement. My general health is on the decline. Why so many people have, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have as many reported cases of autism and mental health issues and, and gluten intolerance and all these mm-hmm. things. And is it because there's radiation in the air? Is it because of the chemicals that we're putting on our skin or the GMO factors? I'm like, well, it's not any one thing. If there's anything, uh-huh. it, and it's also the confirmation biases that we're, we're saying out loud, we happen to notice it more because we can measure more, there's more people. But there's all these variables and all these factors that all are interconnected and to speak to an expert, the world-leading expert in, you know, gut health, they're not going to be seeing all these other contributing factors. So it's unfair to do that for a business, for the marketing of a business because that Mm. is so – that's already too zoomed in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, look, and it's it's even to the point of view of, you know, what if you – generate so much business that you actually can't deal with it. You, know, you 10x your business and the first thing that breaks are the people inside it because they can't deal with the, with the challenge. Like, you know, that's that's something that you don't know until you speak to someone outside of the accounting department who's going, yay, we're just 10x'd. <laughs> yeah, we can't scale it, but we, uh, we're making, <laughs> we're making Ooh, yeah. lots of money until we go broke. From, from basically paying off the sick leave. Um, or, you know, I'm, I'm being kind of, I'm exaggerating, but. Well, it's, it's true. Scalability hurts. Growing yeah, pains. Yeah, totally. And, and oof, it's happened to lots of businesses. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in a WeWork office at the moment, and, you know, they've been having wonderful bad press about <laughs> <laughs> their ability to scale. Um, it's a, it's a fact, fabulous process, but, you know, I think they were kind of overvalued at a hundred. Forty-three million. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These things change, um, but yeah, the, the ten xing the business. Because certainly, that one of the things WeWork's done is just in Sydney. It's been when I moved in here at the Martin Place WeWork, there were only two in Sydney, and now there are six WeWorks in Sydney. So I say, in, in, I've been here two years. In two years, it's gone. You know, it's tripled the well, number of offices. Tripled. Just the company. Think about all the other shared space. All the other shared spaces who are who are putting up ads on Martin Place, going, "Hey, we work. We're going to beat you. We're going to be cheaper than you are." Thank like, yeah. you. Yeah. All about that bottom dollar. It's not though. The race to the bottom, as Seth Godin said, is not a. Is, says is not a great race to be. Um, 
Um, I, I had written something down just as a thought um, around the original question, which is what makes for a better or worse data scientist. One of the yeah. things that makes for a worse data scientist. Okay, I should be asking that. That's a great question. Thank you. I've got to put that onto my list. Yes. Um, what makes a worse one? Uh, in my industry, at least, and I'm, mm. I'm, I, I am that horse with blinkers on because I'm in marketing, I'm looking at, you know, a, a particular KPI, is that we can be too focused on the solution. It's, it's that, you know, looking to prove a hypothesis. And a lot of that happens in that you might have a data scientist that is looking to um, learn something or ascertain the information, but they may be being funneled into a direction because the goal, the ends justify the means here. It's, you know, there's a predefined goal. We have to hit X amount of sales or growth targets. Um, Make the data, make that work for us. Or we have to report this to seniority. We need it to look like X, Y, Z, make it look that way. I'm like, Mm. we're we're lying by omission here. It's not necessarily false. It's just not necessarily the whole truth. Well, that doesn't matter. We have to, we have to hit these KPIs. So how do we make the data achieve that for us? Um, I don't know if that happens in medical fields or or other industries of data science. You hope not. I I would hope not. And I would hope that there's, I mean, I'm in the wild, wild west of, um, of data science because there's no industry body that governs what we're doing and how we do it in marketing. Uh It's, it's achieve a goal viciously yeah. and and we're here to drive growth and we live in a, a capitalist society for better or yeah. worse to to make sure that there is growth year on year on year. I don't necessarily know if I agree with growth as the best target. I think, you know, there should be more. Uh, um, you look at some of the world leaders at the moment looking at um, climate change saying if we didn't make growth year on year on year, would that be necessarily a bad thing if we are cutting carbon emissions? If we, we're hitting one target, which is of more value mm-hmm. than money in a capitalist society, I don't know. This is, this is going quite lofty. Above I, well, it is, but that's an excellent question. Is this something more important than money? I, I think most people would say yes. Um, Most people would say yes, but history says otherwise. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a very tricky thing. Um, so, I'm definitely, I'm definitely enjoying the work that I'm doing with more altruistic companies. Um, right. it, it makes me feel better at what I do. I mean, we started this conversation by me saying I justify my work by saying I'm doing it for a good reason to yeah, to allow yeah. people to enjoy the limited time they have on this planet with their loved ones um, and doing what they love. And to do that, you need to have an income and, and yeah. um, sustain. But something more, you know, the skills that I have as a data scientist, I hesitate to call myself a scientist. Um, I don't go <laughs> through anywhere near as much quality control as a scientist in truth would yes. um, for prior said reasons. But with the skills that I have, I would love to do something like um, my child's at daycare. And yeah. this week, the daycare launched an app whereby previously we would write in a little book, what, what time did they cut, my child get up? What did they have for breakfast? And in, from the daycare's end, the, the educators will write what time they had food, what did they eat, if they had any tantrums, any illnesses, any issues, time they sleep. Give me access. To, now we do that via an app. Yeah. Give me access to that information en masse. And I could know, I could determine with, with 
causation, not correlation. Mm-hmm. Um, with statistically significant data, if a child has it wakes up at 7.02 a.m. and has an apple at 8.15, by 10.02, they're going to have a tantrum or they're going to be going to bed. Right. That sort of level of information. Give me that for aged care. Yeah. Give me that for healthcare. Totally. At, at 10 a.m., they have heart medication. At 12.03, they are 300% more likely to have high blood pressure. Whatever that... Yeah, whatever the correlations are because we don't know what they are yet because we haven't looked at that. Yes, and you could act on that. Yeah. At the moment, I'm doing people spend this much money, show ads at this time, convert at this rate. Um, therefore, I'm going to optimize this campaign to make this much money and, and automate it and optimize it. That's great. But to do that for a purpose that is more, I keep harping on altruism, and that's my favorite word at the moment, um, to do that for a more altruistic reason, to give back in a way that could change somebody's life, save a life, change yeah. somebody's outcomes and how they live and, and for a better way, that's my goal. That's what I want to yeah, do yeah. with the ability that I have because I may not be the best data scientist to be able to do that. I would leverage other people. But to communicate that to C-level, C-level executives yeah. and to the public in a way that would get it funding or get traction mm-hmm. that's my yeah that's, that's cool that's the dream and i yeah, know that nice. apple and, and big companies are getting involved in this now and certainly health insurance companies are getting involved in that space but what's their motivation yeah well i don't know it's also part of um people's desire i mean there's a generational desire to give back there's an ageing desire to give back. So we've got the baby boomers getting to the point of like, I want to give back now, I want to leave a legacy. And we've got the people coming through the Gen X and millennials who are basically saying Gen Ys, I don't know, whichever number, Gen, yeah. gen, gen letter, millennial letter, um, who are kind of saying I want that to be my primary purpose is to make a difference in, in, in the world. So, yes, it's commercial, but it's also because it's what people want. Well, it's, it's creating a legacy, certainly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, early 30s now. I'm trying to decide what my legacy is going to be. Is it going to be my children or is it going to be what I leave my children at the moment? The latter is not pretty. Yeah. You know, no jobs on a dead planet sort of ideology there. Yeah. And, um, so that's the direction I'm trying to take the yeah. skills that I have. And, and so, yeah, go on. Well, in the data science community, I think that we have such a, a pivotal role to be able to make the data like make it a proof point but Mm -hmm. for all the good that does sometimes when we have empirical and um, unequivocal proof of climate change and yet is that there are still deniers out there so Mm -hmm. you know that's the the data is only good as the information is only good as the action made upon it and and when there's a lot of people getting a lot of things out of the, the way it is it's hard to make it change so it's also a change management question i mean to a certain extent climate change is actually about change it's not people saying I don't want to do it. Pardon me, I don't think I should do it. It's I don't know how I could do that and maintain my current lifestyle. It's like I don't want to lose anything. I mean, that's what change management is always about. Like you're losing something, but you're gaining something else. And that, that's, that's a whole emotional, psychological, psychic change, energetic change. I think it will come. I think it's just a question of paying attention to the change management of it. That's deep. I like that. That's really yeah. deep. And, I mean, when you think about corporate change, that's what we do. We've got to go, we can't just say to people, you have to move desks. We have to help them understand why they're moving desks and what the moving of the desk will do for them as an organisation, how when they move desks, they'll be contributing to the ongoing 
beauty of the world and their and their place in it and how a desk is just a desk and in the end they will still be safe and secure and happy. But that's what you do with change management. Why aren't we doing that with climate change management? That's very, very true. That's very, very true. That's definitely one of my one of my least favourite parts of, of management is, is explaining the benefits, pros and cons of, of making yeah. a decision. But, go, isn't it fucking obvious? Just do it. It's going to be better. Yes. But it has been very humbling for me to have those experiences and saying, look, we're going to do this. Um, here's the reasoning. Here's the logic. And mm-hmm. the feedback that you get is, listen, are you sure this is the right yeah. thing to do? Because here's my feedback. I'm like, oh, I never saw that option. Okay, I, I'm receptive yeah. to feedback. I, I'm going to hear yeah. you and let me explore that before I force you to change desks. Maybe yeah. you're right. Maybe there is validity to the way that things are currently set up. Mm-hmm. Change for the sake of change is, is stupid. Yeah. Um, but being reluctant to change because you're comfortable is just as stupid. Well, exactly. I was actually, the reason I bring up the desk changing things, I was working with a client this morning um, where they just decided to go to hot desking from a, you know, you've always had your desk. And he was like, do this. And he had one woman who was just like so against it, so against it. And so we've just done a leadership program where one of the principles was observe, orientate, then decide and act. Essentially, look at the data before you go off the deep end. So we started looking at data. I was like, oh, she's just been promoted to team leader. She's probably having a hard time because, you know, everything's changed and her mum just died and, 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 and. So okay. yeah, Exactly, the context made the, the difference, and so he's actually kind of going back to de- deal with the because the status shift of having the biggest desk and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's a guy who's given up an office, so he, he theoretically understands the status shift. Um, but saying, like, yeah, that whole I think climate change is possibly exactly the same way that there's that there's things that people are concerned they're going to lose, which they may or may not lose. But until we sit down and kind of work through it with them and that will happen that's what advertising does it yes. makes us want something different um, yes. so you're in the right industry to make the climate change look at that you you say that that is that is hitting a very very painful male truth for me <laughs> i started my career very young at 17 18 i wanted to be a politician Yes. So I wanted to, you know, be the change you see in the world. I wanted to yeah. make a difference. I started in, I got involved with local council and then mm-hmm. I started attending state council and I just, I abhorred, I hated it. It was, it was, they were horrible people yes. <laughs> and they were bickering and fighting. Have you ever seen Question Time? It's like watching a tiger I know. Fight. I saw Question Time when I was 10 and I went home and I cried. I said to my mother, these are the people who are running, running the state. Yeah. <laughs> yep, doesn't get what. But I, I made a realise, came to a realisation, oh, this has been happening for 5,000 years. It's not yeah. going to change and I'm not going to be the one to change it. I don't have the constitution myself mm-hmm. or the, or the um, you know, the effect to change such a system on my own mm. or even with a group, that's not going to change. Okay, where can I go to from here? Uh, journalism, media, okay. The, the journalists seem to control mm. the, the flow of information there and, and can sort of impact and uh, alter what the politicians are doing and say, okay, so media. I went into media. Uh, I was in journalism for a little while and um, I was doing quite well and I was offered some cadetships, but at one point um, I was very strongly told that um, they'd been bombing at the airport in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm Lebanese background and I had a family member there and the place that I was working for um, said, you should interview their family and we'll get your cover piece story. It'd be amazing. I'm like, I can't do that. That would ruin my relationship with my family. Yeah. No, no, 
we'll give you a front cover piece. This may get syndicated statewide. Yeah. This will be a fantastic piece. I know my moral ethical boundaries yes. what, as what they are, you know, at yeah. 19 years old, tell me that I can't do that. Listen, if you're not willing to make those sort of calls, you're never going to make it in journalism. Yeah. Oh, then I guess I'm never going to make it in journalism. Yeah. Um, this isn't for me. It seems to be that a lot of your um, direction comes from your advertisers. It seems that the power behind the media <laughs> is... And funnily enough, it has been the most honest work I've ever done because a yeah. politician is trying to sell you something, but it might, uh, the media is trying to sell you something. Advertisers are trying to sell you something and you know it. I immediately yeah. tell you I'm in advertising, I'm trying to sell you something. Cool. That barrier is broken. Yeah. I'm not trying to hide that fact. I straight off the bat, you know I'm trying to say something. Cool, we can move past that and have an honest discussion. And it has yeah. been the most honest work I have not – I feel like I haven't told a lie in 10 years. That's fabulous. Yeah. Be- because I don't – because everything is just out there mm. anyway. So, mm. Yeah. you just got to find the niche where you can be yourself. Essentially, all of the changes that you're talking about are essentially values-driven and for, we- for, for whatever reason, the values of advertising – What you're saying is the values of advertising, because they're upfront about the money, there's an honesty vibe, an honesty value that, that you're appreciating versus um, the, the journalists pretending to be honest but, in fact, you know, looking for the emotional angle to blackmail people, readers into. It's essentially the old-fashioned clickbait. clickbait. It's old-fashioned yeah. clickbait. Um, yeah. And the politicians, as we know, will often self-promote. Not always. Yeah. There, are, there are always exceptions. And I think there's lots of them who went in exactly with the same idea you did, which was uh, let's change the world. But in order to get in there, you get sucked into the ways of operating. Yeah. But with advertising, the ways of operating are very clear. So that's really cool. Yes, honesty through... Um through honesty. Oh, through honesty. So, yeah, like you know yeah. what I'm about. Um, once that's out of the way, cool. Oh. Now we can we can have an honest discussion. Yeah, exactly. And it's there. Look, yeah. it's, how, it's how I sleep at night. Um, it's how mm. I justify it, whether it's true, whether that's my lens on it. I have no idea. There's, I've convinced myself of this for 10 years. I don't think I can change no. my mind now. <laughs> Well, we could do some change management practices. Change management, of course. Yeah, 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 exactly. So to, I've got, we've got just a few minutes before we have to, to finish up. I wanted to ask you about your favourite charity. Do you have a favourite charity? Um, I do. Uh, I probably need to update it. Um, <laughs> oh, no. But, uh, it, uh, my family, um, we decided we weren't going to do Christmas presents a few years ago. Uh, we'll do charity. And then it had a ferocious debate about which charity it would be. <laughs> um, I, I opted for Medicine Sans Frontier yeah. um, at the time because it was one of the largest uh, on the table that was not affiliated with any religions. Right. And I had a, and look, this changes depending on your, your perspective, but I had an issue with religion-based charities because of their tax-free status and also their ability to have a lot more money at hand. Why Why the charity? Why not just use the funds in a different way? That is a very naive and a very limited view of it. Um, I would probably change that now to something that is more action-based, which I feel is some of the websites I've researched um, looking at which charities to, to give to. Uh, you know, there's definitely the finance administration part of it, but a lot of them are moving towards, well, how actionable is it? You know, if you're donating to wheelchair funds, well, look, here's how many wheelchairs we donated to a third world country. You can count that number. And that's the analyst brain. But what's the most important thing? Well, to me, the most important thing would be climate change. How do you measure the impact of that? There would be zero, zero 
you know, carbon reduction, like all that would be negligible. Yeah, numbers, yes. <laughs> and you can't like, so that's a silly way of looking at it, but it seems to be a very popular way of what is the direct result of my, what's the ROI on my yeah. charity donation? Exactly. And there's always unintended consequences, of course. So by measuring wheelchairs, we're not measuring the something else that they're not doing. Every metaphor hides something and shows something else. Yes. Every, every charity donation, same deal. Hundreds of thousands of charities, um, I think in it. I don't know if that's Australia alone, but there's, I know there's at least tens of thousands. Yeah. How do you, what's the opportunity cost lost in giving from to one and not to another? You know, did the $10 you gave to Leukemia Foundation prevent that, you know, um, a multiple sclerosis cure from being, how do yeah. you? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, oh, yeah, you know, um, I wanted to ask you about that oh, though. What, what sort of answers are you getting? What, what sort of feedback are you getting around people's um, charitable activity and donations? Well, look, it's been interesting. It's um, some people who I've interviewed, some of the guys from the States actually had their own charity where some they had a family misadventure and because of that it was like the, it was one of them was um, supporting families who have been struck by cancer. So kind of, you know, sure. so they actually set one up because they found there was nothing. Um, people, uh, one of the guys uh, has his own, his member of the church and he actually, part of his church initiative is to have uh, this kind of website where they they choose the charities themselves and do all the analytics around that. So you give to this charity and they will distribute to the needs of the charities that need it. So I say data analysts are great with this stuff because they have actually <laughs> thought through where's the money going to go yes. and what's it going to do. Um, so I, I must actually do a – now that you've asked me that question, I will write a summary on my page and when we put your transcript out there, it will include the list of charities that everybody's mentioned. Um, everybody's got one. There's, there's no one who says, oh, I actually don't give to charity. Every single one of every 25 or 26 that I've interviewed has had a favourite, which is pretty cool. But I, I recently um, listened to a podcast, which I will link to as well, um, a guy from Oxford or Cambridge or something like that who researches who researches basically benevolence and the giving. Um, and one of the things that he was very clear on was if you're, if you're wanting to do good, don't go work for a charity if you're an accountant and you go work for a charity and you hate what you do, um, go work for somebody who pays you $300,000 and tithe $30,000 <laughs> to the charity that needs it because you'll be happier because you're doing something you love and the charity's going to be happy because they're going to get money to do the things and hire people who love working for them. So I've done a lot of work with um, not-for-profits and charities where people are there because they feel they're contributing, but they hate their job and they hate their colleagues and they hate, it's like, but I'm giving back. Well, no, go get a really important job in advertising. That's very well. they pay you well and tithe. <laughs> yeah, tithing's disappeared, certainly. Um, it has. That's non, yeah, I don't for multiple reasons, but that's interesting. That could come back and maybe from an employer level looking at, you know, we suggest you tithe or we, we tithe part mm. of your salary. Oof, I wouldn't force it. That would be bad. Um, just in case no, someone's listening going, what's tithing? Tithing is oh. where you give 10% of your salary to yes. your, used to be to the church, I believe. Uh, um, yes. So some religions still definitely do it. Some denominations of uh, Christianity still certainly mm. do it. Um, more, I can't say Mormons, the Church of Latter-day Saints uh -huh. um, certainly do that and, and have become a very wealthy populace um, off the back of it, but they mm -hmm. definitely give back from what I've seen. Um, 
Let's yeah, see. it's it's the altruism. Altruism. Come on, straight yeah, back to see? that again. Well, it looks like it's, we've got a theme. Word of the day. It makes you feel feel good about what you're doing, and you know, perhaps if you can't donate your time, you can donate at least a bit of your, you know, your income. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, that's oh, yeah. yep. that's pretty much all the questions I had. We're coming up for four fifty nine. Um, anything you want to say before we finish? Um. Love the stuff you're doing. Keep asking mm-hmm. the questions you ask. Keep probing and um, and making people uncomfortable with with answers that they may not be uh, certain of of their oh true. Oh dear, I've made you uncomfortable. Ooh, no. uh, let's make everybody else uncomfortable. You're fine. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I don't. I say I don't get uncomfortable because I'm very. It's very difficult to offend me. I've, I've have so many different nationalities and cultures running through my blood that I I can't offend somebody because I'll end up uh, offending myself. <laughs> um, so uh, to recap, I, I don't the, um, I don't have anything to add. I love the idea of data specialists coming from all walks of life um, and all industries mm-hmm. to talk and, and you know share commonalities. I definitely would be very interested to see the data analysis of the people you've been speaking to because yeah. you are now building a pool of data from everybody. Exactly. I keep saying to people, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I'm just gathering data right now. Like just first, gathering. You know, it's been, like I said, I think you'll, you'll be number 25 or 26, something like that. Um, and, you know, at some point I, I actually need to get some advice from someone. Hey, anybody's listening? Um, I, 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 certainly linguistic analysis would be interesting, um, as would some, something we could do with the numbers and the data of the people and the words and the blah, blah, blah. I don't well, know. There's definitely enough for a qualitative study there. If you look Definitely. at the answers from every person that you've uh, asked the same questions to, there's there's a qual study right there. Yeah. Um, but I've just got to find an intern who'll do it for me. <laughs> yeah, the resource is always the problem. <laughs> um, I I definitely think that data specialization is not is not its own industry. Mm. I don't think that, that I mean, there's, there's ADMA and IAPA and places like that for, for people that are specialists, but it's not an industry because data analysis, as we collect more and more information mm-hmm. um, by virtue of, you know, being connected all the time and Internet of Things, is going to be prevalent in every walk of life. Yeah. And data analysis is not an industry, industry, it's a process that every industry and every fraction and faction will will require and use and i personally think it will it will do it will help us do greater things the privacy element of it is we did not even talk about that but i'm a privacy advocate (laughs) as well and and that needs to be sorted first and the laws around it but if you collect enough data you can do great things you can you can make you know you can make great waves and and learn and become efficient and you know and feed our children people properly and look after our elders better and basically there's nothing you can't fix with numbers. Exactly. Great, great, great statement. (laughs) I'd like to end on that. Nothing you can't fix with numbers. This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultant's Consultant and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent 
I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.